Two words. Two. Soka Msamang. <laughs> She's awesome. She was a delight. We were in a very rickety, uh, old, 150-year-old building in the University of WA. It was loud. People were laughing, <laughs> loving their lives. Not um, at you. Not at us. In a different room. I might sound like they're in my lap. Uh, it was in your lap laughing. <laughs> they were like, it, you know, it translates on podcasts. It does. I was laughing. She was laughing. We're yeah. all having a great time. Yeah. She was wonderful. Curator of the Literature and Ideas Program for the Perth uh, Festival happening next week. Next week. Enjoy. Enjoy. Um, so thank you so much. If you can just introduce yourself again with your dulcet tone. <laughs> My name is Sasong Kim Simong and I am the curator for Literature and Ideas as part of the Perth Festival 2020. Uh, one, thank you so much for meeting me. Um, and I will say that we're in a bit of a tin room, but um, Sisonke's voice is, tra- is tra- translated beautifully and mine is not. <laughs> um, so please stick with us. Um, so I want to first just talk a little bit about you because when I realised that uh, you were going to be available for a chat, I was like, I just want to talk to you about you. <laughs> but um, this is a podcast about literary festivals, so it is going to be <laughs> about you and the festival, of course. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about your background because I think that is the richness that you will bring to the festival. So I have a little um, list of from your bio. Mm. So author of two books, Always Another Country, A Memoir of Exile and Home, and The Resurrection of Winnie Mandela, which was uh, 2019. So published widely, Sydney Morning Herald, New York Times, Washington Post, Newsweek, Al Jazeera, lots of um, new sites I was blocked from because I wasn't subscribed. <laughs> um, and <laughs> you held fellowships at Yale University, Rockefeller Foundation, Aspen Institute, and um, your TED Talk, If a Story Moves You, Act On It, has over 1.5 million views, which is pretty amazing. Um, plus one, of course, um, mine. And, <laughs> and you moved to Perth. Your... Um, have you seen those novelty tea towels where it's like London, Paris, <laughs> Dubai, Perth. <laughs> That's essentially how your, your, your list of countries, countries. <laughs> and, <laughs> and <laughs> global and cities. Yeah, New York, <laughs> Johannesburg, <laughs> Perth. Perth. <laughs> so, and I love that. I don't want to ask you a bit about that in a moment. <laughs> Um, because um, I'm originally from Perth. Yeah, so oh, okay. It was, it was really lovely and um, to be able to chat to um, you about uh, the Perth uh, Festival um, in Perth, but also to to get your vibe on Perth as well. Um, not like news, often the news, is news of the local places, like, so tell me what you think of us. Yeah. And I don't want to talk about that, but I'm just interested in, in where it sits now and in where you've been. So what I noticed when I was um, deep down a Sasanke wormhole was... <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> scary what you find <laughs> on the internet. It's great. It was all it was all uh, amazingly glowing. Um, and your memoir, um, so it talks the themes of, of home and finding your place and um, privilege and race and gender and what uh, a lot of the coverage of your book spoke about was that there was a universal speaking to of your life experience even though it was unique it was mm. immediately universal yeah, yeah. and yeah. that was something that I am not going to even pretend to to like be closely associated to but I 
you know, like, oh my God, where do I exist between Perth and Melbourne? Yeah, you know, yeah, middle-class yeah. white woman finding her way between two generically yeah. Australian towns. But it is that sort of connection yeah. that everyone either feels or yearns yeah. for where they're from. Um, so I would love to know, speaking about you coming to Perth, how those things exist in the moment now for you. Mm. So, you know, um, uh, how, you know, race and gender and privilege are kind of colliding in Perth in 2019. Mm. It's a big question. It is. Um, <laughs> so I start think, with a big one. <laughs> I, look, I, I am in Perth for entirely personal family reasons. Yeah. Um, and lots of people who didn't grow up in Perth and who find mm. themselves in Perth are here entirely for work-related reasons. Yeah, almost always. Yeah, mm. so it's interesting to be here, having really chosen to be here. Yeah. Um, and I think it makes your relationship with the city very different when you've chosen it rather mm. than been sent here. Um, and so for me, this was a choice about um, being closer to my stepkids. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a choice about raising my kids on the beach. It was a choice about being in a place that is familiar and is home for my partner. Mm. Um, And in the first year that I was here, it definitely felt very self-sacrificing. Like Mm. it was very hard to be here because of how important South Africa has been Mm. to me politically Mm. and personally. Um, And because I grew up in exile from South Africa and having spent a lifetime not allowed to live in South Africa, to suddenly make a choice not to be there was incredibly personally confronting. That's a huge sacrifice. I know, I love the guy. Yeah, I was going to say, he must be pretty impressive. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, all of that sacrifice has, um, has led you here. And Sorry, and let me just say, when do. I say self-sacrifice, it felt incredibly like sacrificial. I don't mean that because it was Perth, because it would have felt the same if I was moving to New York. Yeah. It would have felt the same if I was moving to you know some other global capital. Yeah. The, the loss was in the leaving South Africa rather than in the place that I was going to. It's good to clarify that for Perth listeners. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no, but I think that's... And actually clear. more for listeners who aren't in Perth, because yeah. I find that the, oh God, what are you doing in Perth thing definitely comes much more from the East Coast than it does from people who live in Perth themselves, who are uh, far more confident and at ease with what this place is, mm-hmm. has become in the last 15, 10, 15 years yeah. than I think the rest of the country has caught up with. I can't believe how, when I left Perth, how celebrated I was when I got to Melbourne. People were like, oh, you left Perth, that's amazing, of course, there's nothing happening there. And that's not why I left Perth. I left Perth for many other reasons, but um, family being one of them as well. And yeah, I find it's really interesting. And it's just like any place, it's got complexities. Yeah. And it's changed immensely it has. since I left. Yeah. I think it's been almost 15 years since I left. And every time I come back, it's almost like it insists, anyone who lives here insists on telling me how much it's changed. Yeah. And kind of saying, no, no, there's, it's different. And it's, it's this and there's this happening. And it's like, it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. Right cool. <laughs> you don't have I to do. convince me. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. And I remember I'm reminded every time I come so you are no stranger to writers' festivals in general. 
Yes, because I've been to so many. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I think that obviously brings a richness of experience in different countries and in different states and how they approach it. So I'd love to know, do you remember your first writer's festival? Oh, good question. I think that my first writer's festival was in South Africa, the French Mm -hmm. Hook Festival. Mm -hmm. I think it was French Hook. Yeah. And I went to that festival before I had published a book because I insisted on getting on the program (laughs) because I wanted to meet my agent and the only way that she would sign me on as an author was if she met me in real life Mm -hmm. and she was based in London and she was going to be at that festival and so I just was so tenacious I still can't believe I did this and I found all ways and of course they were like you don't have a book who are you? Why would we put you on the program? And I was like, please, please, please. please. <laughs> and I found a way to get myself from Perth to South Africa. Um, got a ticket through the University of Cape Town to pay for me to go to South Africa. And then I was like, hey, I'm here anyway. I just happened to be here. <laughs> exactly. So I say to who became my agent (laughs) but sort of pretending that you know and then I um and luckily for me um somebody who was on the program to facilitate had to pull out at the last minute and they were like didn't you write to us and say and I was like yes and so everything conspired and so I went to French Hook for the first time and it was fantastic it was yeah really great experience and the most important thing happened which is often the most important thing that happens at literary festivals is that along the sidelines of the festival, I met my agent, had lunch, and we hit it off, and she took she took me on as a client. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I, I want to kind of find out a bit more about that sidelines of the festival and that, all the other things that happen in the festival. Mm. Um, and I guess that leads us to Perth Festival. So has there been a name change for Writers Week? Has it changed? Yeah, so we've, we're calling it Literature and Ideas Weekend. Love. Um, yeah, and actually it's not Literature and Ideas Weekend, it's Literature and Ideas Program. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of what we're trying to do is amp up the conversation side um, of things. Mm-hmm. And part of why we're doing that is that we're recognizing that there are ways into reading and literature that aren't book specific. And that um, if we're going to be attractive to a broader demographic of Australians, which means younger people, which means people who aren't the traditional festival goers, sort of, you know, people in their 50s and 60s um, who have a university education, etc. That's the sort of traditional demographic. Mm-hmm. And they engage with um, literature through books. Yeah. And I think younger people often engage with literature through articles, mm-hmm. through online information, yeah. and through a conversation, which then may lead you to books. So I'm a huge fan, obviously, of books as a writer. (laughs) So I'm not saying books aren't important. I'm just saying that it's important to think about other routes to books. Absolutely. And so the name change reflects that. Yeah. That led me to one of the questions, which was, so that's about diversifying audiences, isn't it? There's been some talk about, you know, writers' festivals or writers' weeks and where they sit currently and who they're servicing. Yeah. So what... um, what demographic have you seen previously and where do you think um, you are looking for now? You, you mentioned young people, but also the other forms of the ways that they're looking at words, so yeah. not just in a book. So um, who, who attends the, the Yeah, festival? so at the moment our demographic is uh, skewed towards female, like most um, festivals around 
the country and around the world, yeah. actually. Um, and I think our average age is about 55. Wow. I think, yeah, yeah the average that age. Doesn't yeah. Wow, yeah. Absolutely what average age. So I think yeah. we're falling, according to culture counts, the survey that we, you know, ha- uh, have do, do um, on a regular basis um, at our last festival. I think we were tracking around the 55 age range. And I think it was like 70% women or something, perhaps more. Who attend our festivals so we're looking predominantly at university educated white women who attend our um, festival and that's a really interesting um, well-read demographic that has lots of influence in terms of the capacity to buy books they are often um, people who continue to be socially influential in then in in their networks so my approach and attitude to taking on this festival is very much one of respecting the existing demographic and um, embracing it, not assuming that I understand who these women are. I know many of them in my personal life, um, but not assuming that I, in some general way, know who they are, not dismissing their experiences because literary festivals tend to draw what we say are women like them, in quotes, and not assuming in any way that whatever I present to our traditional demographic will challenge them like I hate that kind of stuff so I'm making very few assumptions predominantly because it's a demographic that is so widely read so well traveled you just can't make a lot of assumptions about what people will like and will not like so so that's one part of our existing demographic I think widening the demographic is not just like you know, a cool thing to do. <laughs> it's it's a live graffiti exactly, <laughs> exactly, right? So it's important for lots of reasons, but it's also um, critical because we are largely publicly funded. Yeah. So we have an actual social responsibility mm-hmm. to reflect the community that we come from and to produce a festival that uh, represents a public good. Now, a public good can and should be fun, Mm -hmm. but it also has a certain level of accountability, and so it can't reflect just one part of the demographic of a wider Australia. Um, And so with the attitude of embracing, on the one hand, our traditional demographic, with the other hand, we are beckoning Mm -hmm. a wider demographic. And what that means in the case of the Perth Festival is that because we are located on the campus of the University of Western Australia, Um, because this is also a public institution that belongs to all people in WA, and yet it is one with a history um, in which people see it as inaccessible. It's hard to get to for some people in terms of bus routes. Um, It's felt, it's experienced as scary for people who are not comfortable necessarily on a university campus. Um, So for all of those reasons, we have to make an extra effort to go to people. Uh, rather than making an extra effort to get people here. So both are important, but um, part of the conceptualization of the festival this year, this coming year, will be going to people well in advance of the festival weekend, Mm -hmm. which is why we're calling it Literature and Ideas Program, so that it extends far beyond our traditional weekend that we've had things, and we're going to people. So with book clubs, um, with fun events... Um, that are happening in the suburbs so that people know that it's coming. When you say going, it's not just reaching out. It's literally No, it's literally physically going. No, you've got to go to people. Um, Because the way that, uh, certainly the way that I work is, if I know that um, my people are going to be on the program, 
I'm coming to support them, right? If I know kind of in the back of my head that like, oh, isn't there like a writer's weekend? Sometime in February. I'm not going to lock in on that date unless I go to an event or bump into someone who's like, you know, it's happening. And I was at this book club last week and we were talking about it, right? So building up a sort of low-key buzz around that weekend and making sure that it's planted firmly in people's minds by physically going to them to show that we're coming to you and therefore we'd love you to come to us. Yeah. So I think it's just respectful. Absolutely. And I think it talks to accessibility as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people are accessing literature in different ways. And so even though, yes, you have that active um, cohort that are coming and know where it is and are very comfortable in their groups and coming, making it accessible to those people who, as you said, I mean, you know, UWA can be incredibly intimidating. And yeah, it's not easy to get to. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've got to get some of those logistics right, and I think we're pretty good at that. Yeah. For if you wanted to come, I think um, it's easy to come, but you have to know it and you have to de- have to have the desire. So we're working on the desire part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. So how did you come to the role? So I think you were involved last year. I've been involved for, ever since I came, just yeah. as someone who comes to moderate yeah. and like who yeah. obviously attends. Um, and then when the new um, artistic director, Ian Grandage, yes. arrived, um, he called me up and he was like, hey, Sasanke, let's have lunch. And I was like, yeah, sure. And we had a chat and he sort of spelled out his vision. I was like, that's great. But like, I have no idea why this guy is talking to me. <laughs> Thanks for the updating. <laughs> yeah, <I was> like, <laughs> cheers. <laughs> and then he said, I'd love you to come on board to run the festival. And uh, to run the writers festival and I was like oh wow that's kind of crazy because I'm a writer so I yeah. don't have time to be <laughs> this is like a very big side hustle yeah. and he said that that's kind of why they wanted me he said you know he's, Ian is really big on practitioners doing the work because mm. if you're a working writer thinking about what you would be interested in how does a festival feed you um, what's interesting to you what's engaging to you um, he he thinks makes for a really good festival, and Absolutely. so we'll see. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. <laughs> we shall see. Um, I yeah, I think it's in, it, again. It's it's again looking at the fact that you were the curator of this. Um, you do have such a rich history as a writer, so I think it it's a different um, um, eye on it opposed to maybe an arts administrator who do fantastic yeah absolutely but different skill set and And i have so much respect for arts administrators now like it's really an incredible thing to be able to do and i don't think that being a writer is necessarily the best qualification for curating a festival uh so so i've certainly had to pull from different parts of my life and different parts of my life experience in yeah. order to to do this and um, thousands of festivals many of the festivals but honestly being the ceo of a human major of human course. rights organization yeah. so some of the experience of thinking about leadership and what it takes to shift people around a concept and follow you exactly and <laughs> follow you without making them feel like that's what they're actually doing. Yeah, getting people on board. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so how are you, when you, um, I'm interested, so the, I think the, what was the theme last year for the Perth 
Friday's festival. It was our imagined selves. There is. I've got it down there. It's, it's hanging out there. Yeah. Was it our? Yeah. Yeah. So how do you, have you set the theme for uh, next year? Can you share that? Yeah. Uh, and how did you get to that theme? So the, the themes for this year's, for 2020's festival are land, money, power, and sex. Oh, provocative. Yeah. So big, big. Big idea just themes. Just yeah, the small topics. Just the small stuff. Everyone likes to just talk about. Just the small about. stuff. We were gonna throw in death, but just, we thought. <laughs> yeah, just the water pool and chat, you know, just a couple. Of, that's great. So how did you come to that? Did you just was so, something you wanted to do straight away? I've always I've always written about and been interested in money, power, and sex, and it seemed to me that given all the questions that we are faced with as a society uh, regarding climate change and the environment. Um, given the long-standing historical questions that this country has to deal with regarding colonization and the history of violence um, and the place of Aboriginal people uh, in this society and on their continent, uh, it seemed to me that land uh, was not just an important issue, but probably the issue with which to lead. So it's not money, power, sex, or and la- it's land, money, power, and sex in that order um, for a very particular reason. Um, so yeah, so we, we want to have a series of important conversations and I say important rather than tough conversations because I think often the default position of uh, tricky subjects, a hard subject, tough subjects, the default position we take is that, oh, this is going to be a tough conversation. This is going to be a difficult conversation. And it I think you go, in, you go in with it in a defense mode and I understand that, um, but I also think it's possible to have important conversations in a spirit of generosity. Uh, and so that's very much the ethos with which I approach all my work and certainly the ethos which I think at the festival we're approaching um, the, coming, the coming programming. That sounds exciting. So when you started curating where you are at now, um, do you have a dream list? Did you, have, did you sort of go immediately when you took the role? Did you say, I definitely want this part or I definitely want this discussion specifically or I definitely want to say reach out to the demographic in a different way I I didn't have a dream list but I certainly had a sense of the atmosphere I wanted to create Mm. so the feeling was primary and then the question became who do we need to be in the room Mm. in order to have that feeling and so, as I said, it's a feeling of generosity. It's a feeling that everyone in the room is important and valued and their opinions really matter and that anyone in the room can surprise you. Mm. Um, I, I love being surprised. And I think you can only be surprised if you're curious because it's often as a result of digging that you get to the thing of surprise. It doesn't just pop up. It's not just like, hey, a party trick of surprise. You know, that's like, it would be lovely if the world was like that. But I think we get surprised when we stick with something. And so I think that combination of probing and question asking and listening and revelation and surprise are very much what I would love to create uh, over the course of, you know, the programming that we do both on the weekend, sort of our ultimate weekend, which is the third weekend in February, as well as in the events that begin, you know, in November all the way through with our 
many book club events that were happening in different parts of um, the city with uh, we're going to be having um, a series of mobile book clubs so people will get pay for it a, a ticket which pays for a, a book that we've curated for them you get on a bus uh, and you talk about the book on the bus and you ride through the city and it ends up, ends you up in a fantastic location that you probably wouldn't usually go and you'll have a meal and sit down um, and talk about the book um, in a in that location and then you take the bus back to where you parked. That's fantastic. Um, now I want to be on one of those buses. <laughs> <laughs> well then come back for the festival. I, I have to, I have to. <laughs> um, uh, so have you started reaching out? Have you, um, we're, I guess how far into it are you? We're pretty, we're, we've closed our international list. We've got um, the people that we will have and that we want. We um, have just closed our national list. So all the national authors have been invited uh, and we're thrilled with that lot of people. And we are just programming local authors. So that's the next sort of big hill to climb. Yeah. Um, this year's festival will be much smaller in numbers. I wanted, if you're going to have that element of surprise and curiosity, then it does take time, which means that our sessions are going to be longer than they have been in the past. So in the past, we've had 45 minute sessions because we wanted to, um, I think we've really wanted to offer people as much as possible because um, Perth is far from the rest of the country and it is far from many other parts in the world. And so it's like, I think there's been a sense of like, let us cram this weekend full of stuff. And I think that's been really great for general exposure for people. But what it means is that we haven't been able to go deep in many of the conversations. So this year I'm opting for deeper rather than wider. So fewer people have been invited um, and longer sessions. And more importantly, longer sessions in between. So the breaks are longer. Mm. Because what you often want to do after you've listened to someone amazing is turn to the person sitting next to you and be like, how great was that? Let's grab a coffee and talk about that. Or let's go to the bookstore book and like, she talked about this person. I've never heard of that author. Let's find that. Mm. So that speaks to that ideas part of Definitely. That, which is you absorb all of this and you get deeper and deeper into a single subject or personal story. That's right. And then you can take it away and it, it's something you absorb and discuss afterwards. That's right. And that's where ideas come from as well. That's so, right. Um, that leads me to a question I was going to ask about where writers' festivals are going mm. and, you know, their relevancy, not just, <clears throat> I guess sometimes they could be, you know, uh, junkets for authors to, you know, talk about yes. books and things yes. like that. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Very important. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> but also how you're talking about, which is a discussion of the, the difficult things or the challenging yeah. topics. That's right. So where do you see, I guess, Rise Festival, how, do, how are you going to kind of balance that important part, which is authors yep. touring yep. and the discussion of ideas? I think that they're not mutually exclusive in any way. And yeah. so what I hope to do is create an environment in which important discussions are not just possible, but happening because writers festivals do not depend only on writers. Mm. They're a big part of it, but writers festivals definitely rely on excellent moderators. So mm. we're putting a lot of energy into I the moderators. There was a call out for moderators. 
Yeah. So, which is interesting. I'm interested in the type of people that then apply to be moderators. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, who reaches out? Do you reach out to them as well? Yes. Yeah. So it's a mutual process. Again, because um, we have lots of really great experienced moderators in the city who have been doing it for many years. I think one of the great things about a festival is that it offers fresh opportunities mm. and fresh voices. And so a, a good mix of both old voices and younger voices. And when I say younger voices, I don't necessarily only mean like age-wise younger, but I mean, um, you know, I have encountered some, through the other work that I do on storytelling, I've encountered some pretty incredible teachers uh, and some pretty incredible principals. I would love to have a school principal moderated discussion just because all the skills you need to be able to build consensus, to probe, to ask great questions are there in a school principal and some of the best ones. I think we should be inviting them to be on our festival program and ask questions, right? Well, I will nominate my son's principal, <laughs> Jason, he's great dude. Ask a lot of questions. Yeah. But like probing questions. Absolutely. As well. And they read, they're yeah. smart. Why not engage them, uh, pay them the moderator's fees that we're paying to other people who are typically on radio, etc. So mm. what I'm ta- when I talk about fresh voices and diverse voices, I mean it in the truest sense of the word. That like diversity is of course important in terms of race, in terms of gender, in terms of gender identity and sexuality. All of that is absolutely critical. But diversity if we allow it to only be demographic is a limitation. Mm -hmm. And so we really need to think more interestingly about having a very diverse program that reflects the class differences in our society. How often are are these conversations between middle-class people Mm -hmm. who either are university educated or have aspirations Mm -hmm. to have university education? So that kind of mixing it up is precisely what our society needs because we all live in our bubbles. Yes. Right? So we live in our bubbles online, and one of the power of festivals, one of the things I think that, although they are seen as increasingly... <laughs> it's a festival too. <laughs> <laughs> having a great time. <laughs> Should we tell them that we're... I'm, yeah. uh, I'll just pause. Okay. Sorry. I'm letting them go for a moment. Yeah. All right, sorry about that. We just That's need to okay. tell them to pipe down. Um, yeah, so I, so I was saying that, for me, one of the really important things about literary festivals today is that they provide people an opportunity to talk about ideas and literature face to face Mm -hmm. and because so much of our public discourse happens online um, and is so polarized I think the physical space uh, is more important than it's ever been uh, which is why I insist on having those very important conversations in a spirit of generosity because if we are going to sit face to face to have them then we need to be generous in how we approach them so that to me is the power of the festival i also think that's a big part of the reason why festivals are in danger of becoming irrelevant so the very thing that is their biggest strength is the very thing that could threaten to destroy their place in our society Mm. Um, is that intimacy that people might fear or the discussions that in. Yeah, and and what happens when it goes wrong? Yes. right. So when it's not, uh, when not everyone attempts approaches the conversation in a spirit of generosity, mm-hmm. where people are worn down, too worn down to be generous, when people have other agendas that preclude them from generosity, 
then what happens, mm-hmm. right? And I think we've seen that in the yeah. past couple of years with um, you know major fiascos happening with people being deplatformed and platformed again and like you know all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love that um, even just that tweak of having moderators who are not who are fresh voices means that they're asking questions that might not have been asked previously in a conversation that might not have ever happened anyway. That's right. So it means that it's questions that I might not have asked but needed to have asked. That's right. Because we just have blind spots because we're always talking about books mm-hmm. and someone's read a book and is like, well, that's not the question I'm interested in asking. No. You know? Or I never even thought to ask that question, but that makes the book so much richer to exactly. me. Exactly. Or the discussion or the concept so much richer to me. I never thought about that. And that, I mean, that speaks to privilege, right? Which is just making assumptions about what we know. 100%. And, and you know, how we interact with something. And so getting someone else to ask questions like, oh, didn't you, I yeah. can't believe I didn't even think of that or pick that up. And as a absolutely, and as a person with huge amounts of privilege myself, what I found is the only way you cannot dislodge your privilege. It is mm-hmm. part of what we carry with us in the world, but you can certainly be aware of ways that um, disperse your privilege, um, that amplify the voices of other people. Mm-hmm. And more importantly, that shed light on your blind spots. And the best way to shed light on your own blind spots is by having way more people in the room than yourself mm-hmm. and other people like you. So that's yeah, that's completely how I uh, how I'm thinking about the festival is how I think about everything. Um, I guess that one of the last questions I have, because I'm just looking at time, is what and and you've probably spoken about it anyway. But what do you hope to take away from the festival, both? So that isn't a question that I've answered for myself yet. Mm. And I'll say that, of course, I'll think about it. But part of why I haven't thought about it for myself is because I'm far more invested at this stage in thinking about what I want for other people. Mm. So what do I want people to leave the festival thinking about? Mm. What do I want them to have taken away from it? And for me, like the best events are those and whether that's a dinner party or a festival or an incredible performance that I watch on a stage um, what I really love to walk away from a situation like that with is a sense that I've had an insight that I just wouldn't otherwise have had and that's usually because something in the activity has opened me up and being opened up is a consequence of laughing. So I'm hoping that there is some playfulness and a lot of laughter. Um, and you can only do that when you're comfortable. Yeah. Um, so it goes back to this idea of providing an incredibly welcoming space for people that doesn't apologize also for being intellectual. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that there is a strong strain of anti-intellectualism around the world right now. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we see it in our politics in this country. There's an us and them. There's a yep. There's an us and them, and then there's the sense that um, people who are interested in ideas uh, and who are interested in, in uh, creating a rich intellectual life are elite, um, and that's a consequence of a hijacking of a particular type of narrative, and it's also a consequence of people like myself with privilege 
um, locking people out of those conversations. So I think to be unapologetically interested in ideas and in the richness of the mind, you can only be unapologetic when you have done your absolute best to make sure that everybody is in the room Mm -hmm. so that it is a working class conversation it is a middle class conversation. It is a conversation in which indigenous people feel um, regarded, held, and respected. It is a conversation in which the most recent migrant feels that they can contribute. So it is actually elite mm-hmm. if we don't do that. Yeah, so it's a responsibility you have. Well, it's a heavy responsibility you have. But it's a really important, so I think the embracing the life of the mind and saying that many, many different types of people in this country have always embraced the life of the mind, Mm -hmm. not just a particular type. Mm -hmm. So just because people haven't been meeting on university campuses doesn't mean they haven't been embracing the life of the mind. How do we tap into and make visible, how do we reveal those conversations in a place that we all agree to come together? If people can leave the weekend feeling like that happened, Oh my goodness, I had no idea. That feeling, oh my, I had no idea. Mm. If people can leave saying, I had no idea, mm. with a measure of excitement, uh, then like my job is like a thousand times done. You can, you'll, be, you'll be happy. I'll be very happy. <laughs> I am so excited to, um, I, I will, and I need to be here for it, and to experience it. I think it sounds like you're trying to put the festival back in festivals, you know what I mean? Like the, that's a great way of, the that's a great way. and the fun, because you're right until you let your guard down you can't wholly enjoy something that's right so i want to last question which we ask everyone is what are you reading right now oh god if it doesn't have to be one thing i'm reading so many things so at the moment (laughs) that's it's like the first time in my life where i've I've been able to say like where i've said oh god like that to reading i know So I'm, I've just finished Grand Union, Zadie Smith's collection mm-hmm. of short stories. Um, and before that, I, re- I have I read every book that Zadie Smith has ever written. because Everything, because I'm interviewing her uh, in Sydney at the Sydney Opera House. So that would be great. Zadie Smith oh my goodness. Right. Like, I know so much about her. I am reading her books in her voice, in my head. Yes. <laughs> Because she's got such a distinctive voice. I'm like, I have this British accent in and my you, head. You actually see her in person. Yeah, exactly. Like, wait, wait, wait who is, exactly. It's crazy. Um, so I'm reading lots of Zadie Smith. I'm all, I've, uh, my favorite book of this year was The Yield by Tara June Winch. Yes, I saw that you recommended that as your top. Oh my God, I love books. that. I love that book. It got five woos. It got five whoops. Five whoops. Yeah. yeah. So I'm loving that book. I... Um, really what else have I read that I really um, Disappearing Earth Julia Phillips Mm -hmm. fantastic incredible Mm -hmm. dark mysterious Mm -hmm. disturbing beautiful book Mm. Uh, yeah lots of good chick lots of good chicks writing as usual I've been wholly without even trying reading amazing female writers yeah but thank you so much. I think, I, I, I mean, I asked questions I didn't write down and there's questions I didn't ask, but that's fine. <laughs> um, thank you so much for spending the time today. It was My pleasure. illuminating and I'm, I'm really excited about it. I wish it was tomorrow, but it's not. Um, so thank you so I'm much. I'm glad it's not tomorrow. <laughs> oh my God. Like, please don't do that to me. Please don't do that to me. 
luck. Thank you. You won't need it in the winter. Oh my god, I feel like I need it, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Caroline.